This is your station manager, Tucker Sterling Jensen, and I'd like to welcome you to Back of House, Radio 5 Watt's very first interview series and podcast. This series is an opportunity for our founder and fearless leader, Mr. Caleb Gurn, to sit down and chat with the Twin Cities musicians he holds in the highest regard. In this very first episode, Caleb talks to Mike Michael, a Twin Cities guitarist, singer, songwriter, and educator about the scene as it was and where it's going, the previous and current bands and projects, and about his newest album entitled On The Mend. This is Caleb's interview with Mike Michael from Radio 5 Watt, unilaterally raising the bar. Um, so yes, this is the first episode of uh, BOH, mm-hmm. uh, Back at House. And uh, one thing I realized as I was preparing for this is I don't officially know how to say your last name. Michael. Okay. It's M-I-C-H-E-L. The myth goes, as we, most people have myths to their, you know, name or whatever, or, you know, things get weird back in the day, but um, it was Michelle, supposedly. So, like, the in the history of the family yeah. lineage? Yeah, and, it, you know, for work, you know, Alice Island deal, it's like this took, took the one L out and just Michael, now it became German. But I have uh-huh. German lineage, so it's like, I don't know the real deal. So it's all hearsay. I don't have, know. But it is Michael. Have you or any uh, family members done any of the DNA stuff? Um, my sister gave my parents that for Christmas, and we have not gotten it back yet. Right on. We did that for my mom, that her past birthday, mm-hmm. this past September. So, yes, I discovered I'm, I'm a lot more British Oh. Than I thought I was. Is that why you have a fleet of jaguars out there? <laughs> yes. I, I'm basically 40% British. Oh, my gosh. That's excellent. And I, I would have guessed I was about 20% in 80% German. So there's the wit. I get it. So 40% British, 40% German, and then kind of a mess of Scandinavian okay. whatever after that. That's not as exciting as British, though. No. Uh, so I'm way more British than I thought, ever thought. Yeah. It all fits. I get it. It's in our family name, uh, Garn. It was originally Gern in Germany, okay. G-E-R-N, as opposed to G-A-R-N, which mm-hmm. probably has some Ellis Island You know, uh, I took my mom. Uh, my sister lives in Philadelphia, and we took our mom to Ellis Island. This is my buddy, Dino. Hi, Dino. Um, we went to we went to do the you know let's go find out you know what's going on with your family. So we got an appointment. We did the computer research on Ellis Island. Uh, it was shut down for a while for renovation, but when we we caught it at the right time about six or seven years ago, and it was really it was really cool. Um, you know we're we were lucky that one of her her grandmother came over at sixteen alone. Oh wow! As a single female from Belgium. And uh, ended up, you know, being able to do the American Dream, owned a bar and restaurant, and apartment buildings and houses, and that was Quad Cities back in the John Deere days. So but we found, Iowa? we found her. Yep, we found her signature on the boat ledger. We found the picture of the boat. We found her, you know, all of her stats, and that's and it, amazing. It was really cool. I mean, so I know a lot of people have done that, but it was a really inspiring thing to see my mom go. Oh, that's my, because that was her main. 
one of her heroes was her grandmother for doing everything herself, you know, right. without, you know, 20 bucks in her pocket. And how'd she do that as a female in, you know, 1912 or whatever it was, you know? Yeah. So that's it's cool. I love those. I'm, I'm a history buff. So that yeah. kind of stuff really. Uh, yeah. So good. Um, <clears throat> how I know you. Uh, I remember seeing you at the Turf Club playing for Stook, maybe? Stook and the Jukes. Maybe. Was that? It, it might have been another gig, but that was Turf Club many, many years ago. It's a rowdy night. You were playing bass. It was a sweaty summer night. That's all I remember. Right That's on. where I first met you, I think. I I don't recall that personally. Yeah. I recall seeing uh, the Bill Mike band, band. Mm-hmm. at the three three one. I believe it was on or near a Halloween. Interesting, cool. And my impression of you as a guitar player mm-hmm. was: this is the first guy. That is a Def Leppard mofo. That is a. <laughs> That is a Phil Collin, Def Leppard, awesome guitar player. This is the first guy. Oh, I like Phil Collin. He's actually good. I've ever seen mm-hmm. use pedals tastefully. Oh, thank you. And you know what's funny? Everybody has a pedal board now, so I'm just down to playing guitar. <laughs> I go the opposite way. <laughs> no, I still use a little, but I, I actually sawed my pedal board six inches off. Oh, wow. Because I'm like, God, everybody is like, these pedal boards and they you know they put you know there's like 800 pedals but it's one sound for one song right and right you know it's to each his own it's all good but i'm like oh man this is too many people doing pedals these days so i'm just get back to the fingers man you gotta dial it back get, get back. back to the roots get back to the roots like like you think of guitarists like tom morello and you hear all of that sound and he's got like four pedals right so that's kind of where i'm going yeah, I would liken but your I, I playing did have fun. to Tom Morello. But um, the interesting, the reason of the pedals is I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio. And one of my heroes and one of the people I was you know, fortunate to see as a youth, as a teenager in high school, was Adrian Blue, who played on all the Bowie records and uh, Talking Heads and Frank Zappa. He was, he's from my hometown. Right. So he would come in and do these weird shows, and it's like, it's like, oh, here's a guy that's doing all this prolific art rock. And he's, like, born in Kentucky. And uh, so I could see him up close. And so he was the main inspiration for all the gear. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So directly in Cincinnati. Yeah, he's from Covington, Kentucky. Um, so Covington would be like uh, going over the river in the northeast. Right. Yeah. So yeah. you grew up right in Cincinnati. Though. I did. Mm-hmm proper um just like it'd be like the golden valley of cincinnati got it. the first ringer okay that was the first ringer suburb kid nice yeah uh so in my in my research i discovered you grew up in cincinnati mm-hmm. and uh the only question i have for you yes. is do you love and i mean love, love. okay the movie airborne you, you're gonna crack up i've never seen that movie See? No tip for the uh, Cincy kid, Airborne. Tell me, I don't know what Airborne. It yeah. was. It's it's about a kid who is forced to move to Cincinnati. Wow, I gotta watch this from Southern California. Oh boy, 
and, and he has hard times. He's the good-looking California surf bum. Oh, he's going to be out of place. He's going to be out of place, and he, he, he grew up on rollerblades, and now he's got to play hockey. Okay. Uh, and he's got to fit in with these tough Cincinnati, you know, guys. It's a mismatch. It's, it's, it can be a little rough down there, yep. And I believe, I could be wrong, but I believe this is Jack Black's first movie. I'm actually going to <laughs> investigate that after our conversation ends. And I think... Seriously. I think his name in the movie is Augie. What year do you think? Because the first time I saw Jack Black was in Northern Exposure, Ooh. the CBS series about the that could, know, the small town. He yeah. was a, just a, a guest. It, this could definitely predate Airborne. And I think he was on 90120, the original series, too. No way. I think for one episode. Don't quote me on that, but, All right. you know. He's a key so Airborne. part of Airborne. Okay. That's, that's a given, man. Uh, All right. Cool. And th- there's also a goofy redheaded actor that I, the name is Eric Stoltz. Me. No. Uh, oh man. Screech. <laughs> no, not Screech. <laughs> not uh, not the Beastie Boys' little brother. The guy from the Partridge Family, Danny. No, more modern guy. Okay. Uh, as soon as you see him, I want to say his name is Seth. Seth Green. Is oh. He- I, okay. I could be weird. Right. It's on it's on my it's on my to do list, Airborne. Check now. it out. Check out Airborne. Uh there's a key part in the movie where they have to have this rollerblade race on this super long downhill track that wow. they dub Devil's Backbone. And my question was gonna be, yeah. is is Devil's Backbone real? I don't in Cincinnati? I don't think so. Um but Cincinnati and Saint Paul are are uh, almost identical cities where you have the Natural hills from the river and the glaciers and all that kind of stuff. So, right. so Cincinnati, it was once called Porkopolis, and then Cincinnati, and then Cincinnati. Really? Yep. It's Porkopolis. And, um, but it was the first eastern expansion or the first city, the first major city expansion from the east coast. So, when you go there, oh. they've saved all their architecture, unlike. Minneapolis, your building's awesome where we are right now. You you took the renovation to a new level, <laughs> where you are keeping history and renovating it. But so um, it you know it's a seventeen hundred, so it's a little bit older than Minneapolis. Yeah. So um, it's really so it's Italianette architecture. So it's all mostly Germans settled there, but they the Germans borrowed the Italianette Venice architecture. So it looks like you know really cool italian row houses is pretty much the vibe of the city that they're finally nice. renovating a, a lot of them so just like the northeast section of minneapolis here where there's renovation like your building right so right right yeah you're a history guy i love it yeah we, we might share that in common right right we do we do uh, for the listeners you are listening to back of house i am your host caleb garn uh, and we are recording this interview at the uh, Five Watt Coffee Shop on East Hennepin Avenue in Northeast Minneapolis, Beltrami neighborhood. Now, if I didn't know you, I'd really like this place still. <laughs> Thank so you. I highly recommend it. I really do. Um, talking with Mike Michael, 
uh, one of my local music heroes, uh, who I was very excited to uh, get the opportunity to sit down, chat, interview, um, and and be my guinea pig. Thank yes. you again in this endeavor. Uh, and we should note that this is the first official interview of Radio Five Watt, uh, and hopefully it, it's aired a thousand times. And with my libation here, I hope it's many more. Right? Absolutely. We we should figure out a show. You and I, a regular segment, I'd a regular thing. I'm an open book now, man. I do anything. Nice. Yeah. I like it. Let's do it. Uh, so I know you from music. The 331 was definitely the first time I ever saw you perform where I, I identified, oh, this guy, this sound, this thing. Uh, other accomplishments that I became aware of beyond that, mm. Rock Camp for Dads. Started that in 2009, but I no longer am a part of that. Is so. it still going? Is It, it is still going, okay. yeah. Yeah, a good friend of mine, Dan Carlson. Dan, bass player, absolutely. Uh, that's where he kind of cut his teeth. Two thousand nine, Dan came in. I had an awesome spot behind the CC Club, and it was called Art Spot. And it was like I wanted people coming from either the cities or the suburbs or rural Minnesota to experience what a real band does. Yeah, like nothing posh, you know. So you know, I had um. Who else was rehearsing? Policia was in there, and oh, wow. Ro- Roma de Luna, and then Ed Ackerson and BNLX, um, and then Halloween Alaska. So we had this like there was three rooms, and we all had you know a million different projects going on. But yeah, I took the rock camp behind the CC Club. Was like, all right, here's where rock started in Minneapolis. <laughs> well, Longhorn, but one of the places, right? Absolutely. And so it was uh, adequate. It was cold and hot at the same time and very you know did it smell like urine no i i was a caretaker i really went to town on that was my ocd took over it's like no i don't want this i want this to be presentable and so right i took care of it i'm the same way yeah it's got to it's got to meet a minimum standard absolutely i spent a lot of time there so it's got to feel good right i dig it um so beyond that uh, your patronage at the uh, uh, five watt Kingfield mm-hmm. is where I felt feel like we really galvanized our friendship. Yeah, and uh, got to know each other as well as we know each other today. That's right. That's right. Um, and congratulations on the expansion. Thank you. Thank you very much, man. It, so well, it couldn't happen without uh, people like yourself. So we started in Kingfield, right? Yeah, and then. You started the distribution and wholesale of the... Big Watt. Big Watt. And yep. then we're in Northeast. This is your third adventure. Yep. And then, am I allowed to... Yeah, yeah. And then St. Paul's number four. Saint, yes. Fourth or Third shop. Right. Fourth thing. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah. congratulations on that. Well, thank you. Yes. The, this is not about me. It's about you. It's about us. <laughs> it is about it's us. It's about us. A a question I love to ask musicians. Uh-huh. Tell me tell me the story of the moment that you realized that music was going to play a key role in the rest of your life. I got it. I got it. I was 15. 
started guitar at 13. It was my, like many musicians say, their savior for self-expression and retreat and reflection and motivation and, you know, a very spiritual place. But I was 15, and I had my sister's just old turntable. And my sisters are a little bit older than I was. So they all moved out of the house, so I had this little corner room. And I had this little turntable, and I had some of their old records were hanging around the house, and a lot of R&B. So we had Prince Records and Midnight Star and Earth, Wind, and Fire and that nice. kind of stuff, and Cameo. Yeah. Um, and then we had some old rock and roll, Chicago and Beatles and stuff like that. You had some P-Funk, right? But, yeah, I remember seeing U2, like, right when they broke out. Like, I remember reading about them and kind of catching that wave. Like, so pre-Rattle and Hum? Oh, yeah. So we're okay. talking, right, the October stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. Caught them in the beginning. And then liked it. Um, I thought, you know, I love Bono's expressive tonality and his voice. And the edge was really interesting. You know, that kind of guitar I heard in The Police with Andy Summers and David Gilmore, the delay stuff. Right. And um, some of the more experimental stuff, Adrian Blue. So, and um, I don't know, it just spoke. So I listened to their EP, um, Three Sunrises, I think is what it's called, because I haven't played that record probably since I was 20, you know. Um, but I remember hearing the, um, what's the, what, what would be some adjectives? Um, not only honesty, it was really dramatic. It was a sense of urgency. It was the first band I saw personally as a youth at that form, that that age, where I thought these guys don't play for themselves. Oh. They're the Bruce Springsteen thing. They play for the family, like they are family-oriented musicians. Where everything they write is about global concepts, whether it be politics or environment. So they're big in the Greenpeace thing back in the day. And I'm like, these guys are a global band. Like, they're thinking about, they love rock and roll, and they love Patti Smith, and they love the Sex Pistols, and they love, you know, Beatles, and they love Zeppelin, like all their influences. But I said, these guys are about the audience. And I realized that my purpose as a musician, and there's no judgment on anybody else not doing this, because entertainment's important, but I thought, I want to write music like them, not trying to be pretentious at all, where it's like, it's about um, empowering people. So I played that record at 15, and I heard the roar. It's a live EP. Some of the songs are live. And I was like, man, that's what I'm going to do. So that was, that was a pivotal moment. I, I knew at that moment that I would not be listening to any parent, grandparent, family member, neighbor, especially neighbors, very conservative area <laughs> town. They didn't like musicians at the time. Um, teacher, I'm not going to listen to anybody. I'm going to be a musician. That was, it was the end. It was over. That was it. Were you playing guitar then? Two years, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I didn't, you know, I was experimenting and, and because of my influences were kind of experimental. And, but that was the moment of being a musician, not a guitar player. It's like, oh, my sense of purpose. Sure. Yeah. So that was it. That that was that was the end 
Yeah, that it was you, over. Now you had to re, re and then, and then I'm like, oh, reverse like, engineer the I'm end. Like, I'm like, oh crap! I got two years of high school left. Like, <laughs> like I'm like, I'm what like, am I gonna do? What am I gonna oh, yeah, do? Biology. Yeah. Come I'm on. Like, oh no, I got, you know, I got trigonometry school for a couple more years. So it's like, oh well. So were you were still in Cincinnati. Yeah, I, I split when I was um, twenty, late twenty one, and moved okay. to Los Angeles for five years. Oh wow! And then moved here in late nineties. What year? What nine? What ninety seven? Around ninety seven. So I moved here in ninety five, and I was twenty one. Then, yeah. Because you're Michigan. Michigan. Yeah. No. So I, I this is kind of a a story I unfortunately say a lot, but I moved here in March in a snowstorm. And I pulled up, and I had an 83 Rabbit GTI that was pimped out. Nice. And, I, and my dad drove across the country with me. It was really cool. And uh, pulled up in a snowstorm. It was like March 13th. And I literally went, oh, my God, what have I done? <laughs> I bet. It took me about four or five years. I actually stayed here two years and moved away for a summer. Okay. Because it was just really hard for me here. I... But I moved back because I realized that I lived, I went to Chicago a lot. Yeah. Moved back to Ohio, uh, spent a summer with the folks. But every weekend, I'd almost drive up to Chicago almost every weekend and just checking it out, right? Do I want to live in Chicago? And I was sure. meeting all the Ken Vandermark and all the kooky jazz musicians of Chicago that are awesome. It's like, nah, Chicago's not my thing. It's just that's a blow-in, blow-out town for fun and gigs and stuff. Right. Moved back here, got a job in a recording studio doing jingles, and I was like, "All right, this is cool." Nice. And then settled in, and then, then I realized I'm like in the last place with water, and <laughs> we're we're in the safest place <laughs> in the entire planet right now. I'm like, eh, I'm kind of staying here for you know. Yeah, yeah. So my story in coming here, um, moved here in ninety. It was ninety five or ninety six, and. Uh, sort of went through culture shock in a positive way. Um, I was so eager to see what else the world had, you know. Well, let's. Can I interfere? Is yeah, that right? yeah. And this is this is real because you know this is objective opinions. So again, no judgment. But even twenty years ago in Minnesota was even more stoic. Like it's yeah. really expanded into more of a global city more immigration a lot of people coming into the fortune 500 companies from europe and settling here for their five-year plan with whomever you know cargill or 3m or whatever sure so you have this influx of new immigrants which is i think profoundly affect the city in a positive way and the vibe here is even better in my opinion now than it's ever been um and so you're a jovial chap and you're <laughs> extremely personable. And I'm like, guy's got to be from Wisconsin, but you're from Michigan. Yeah. So I grew up in, in the reverberation of Detroit. Wow. Um, which, so I grew up in a small farming community that had a lot of lakes. It, that was about an hour and a half, exactly halfway between Detroit and Chicago. It was about two and a half hours to either metro. Um, I get it. Yeah. yeah. That's uh, that's my ether, man. Nuge. Yeah. Uh, Jack White. Jack Madonna. 
Yeah, all all Michigan. Right. Yeah. Motown. Uh, James Jamerson, dude. <laughs> That's a whole nother podcast. That is. That is. Uh well, let me do the, uh, the the segment break here. Okay. You uh, listeners, thanks for tuning in. You are listening to the first uh, Back of House <laughs> show with uh, Mr. Mike Michael. Um, I am your host, Caleb Garn. We are recording uh, at the 5-Watt Coffee Shop, East Hennepin, Northeast Minneapolis, Beltrami. It's a beautiful place. That's a mouthful to say right there. I just realized how much that takes to get across. But, uh, yeah. So, uh, we are, uh, this is part of Radio 5 Watt, which is a new radio station that's uh, fundamentally housed here at the coffee shop. uh, Where we seek all kinds of local excitement content culture um and i will be doing this boh series uh with several local musicians that i love cherish and respect that are all centered around our uh local music community and enrich this community that i love so very much uh so thank you for listening we're gonna move on to the next part of the interview uh where mike is so graciously uh allowed me to continue to berate him with uh, (laughs) my line of amateur interview questioning. Um, So I wanted to wrap up BOH because I'm I'm going to be interviewing mostly guys from my era, my generation, my guard, if you will. And, And I include you into that. Uh, unfortunately Dr. for you. Shane. <laughs> but um, I have some very strong opinions about where we are as a musical city and mm-hmm. community mm-hmm. and where I hope we go. Yeah. What I want to know is how you, Mr. Michael, yep. feel about that idea. Okay. I will keep this succinct. Okay. Um, thanks for the, uh, the brew as well. Um, this is an outsider's perspective and you have an outsider's perspective is that I feel that the caliber of talent in the twin cities rivals any city. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Yep. So I don't care if it's New York, Paris, Berlin, I don't care. Period. So, and a lot of, a lot of the jazz musicians we know do travel abroad and that's how they make their bread and butter is over in Europe so we've got world class talent I'm pushed here to a degree in a healthy way where it's like pushed in a great way like I need to be surrounded by people that kick my butt Mm -hmm. so there are literally hundreds hundreds of amazing guitar players in the Twin Cities like that's and you'll never find that quote me on this in the Midwest you will never find that even in Chicago you won't find the amount of creative weirdos up here anywhere else in the Midwest. So that is a plus. Um, of course, we could talk about the you know because uh, we might have similar political value systems, right? Maybe. Yeah, I don't. We, 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 probably. Probably. But it's a progressive city, so that keeps you interactive and it keeps you reflective. So I love that. 
The one thing as an outsider that um, it, it's hard because of our location, even in the internet era, which is making us close to each other, right? Is that we are seven hours north of a major city, right? So we are a little bit isolated, which keeps us under the radar, which keeps us fresh, which keeps us creative in the winter, like right now, because it's just turned March 1st, still winter. Um, I am jealous of cities like New Orleans and Austin that um, where, and again, those are warm cities, so I get it, where it's like I was just reading about Austin where the musicians are getting insurance and it's all about what is the attraction to that city and for austin you have food you have maybe heat and you have but mostly it's music so the city of austin is now recognizing through south by southwest of course and stuff like that the value of the draw new orleans cuisine you know, crazy, crazy party stuff and music, of course. The birthplace of everything that you and I, Caleb, claim to love about music started in the city in Louisiana, right? Right. But because we have this caliber of talent, how can we make Minneapolis, not just with the Super Bowl, like how do you leak out that there's so many artists up here, it's just insane? in a good way like there are tens of thousands of brilliant artists just like watch minnesota original you know what i mean oh and it's just I love like it. I love where's it. that person why haven't i heard in 20 years you know why haven't i heard of that person right so the mystery of minneapolis as an outsider with 3.5 million people is that you it's a it's a big small town but you will never meet everybody and 20 years later man 20 plus now is that I'm meeting people for the first time that are brilliant and global and have done, you know, two decades worth of things. And I'm like, I'm meeting you for the first time. So I look at the Twin Cities as a total mystery date where anything can happen that's going to be really weird and it's going to freak me out in a good way that this person is like a creative genius. Right. But I wish that could be supported and it is to agree with the grant system kind of starting here and all the TPT and the uh, NPR shows and are very supportive of local talent. Um, but how can we let out more of the secret that we have the natural beauty and we have the progressive nature of a northern city more than most, but then there are, there's a billion artists that are world class. I don't know how to. I don't know how to like advertise that. That's that's my long-winded story. I like it. It it spawns this response from me. So, what we're doing right now, sitting at this table, interacting in this place mm -hmm. through this thing, Radio Five Watt, is really it's the result of a question that I've been asking myself for twenty years, and that question is, what could I? Caleb Garn do to unilaterally raise the bar of the Twin City music scene? And I've, I've had thousands of answers to that question over the years from, oh, I should own a venue to a studio yep. to a, uh, make a movie, yeah, yeah. on and on and on. Yeah. 
Uh, Radio 5 Watt is actually the best answer, in my opinion, that I've ever come up with to help shine a light uh, on a, everything you said uh, about our, our town in, with respect to the quality of musicianship and creativity. Yeah. I it's think world we, class, man. It's crazy. It is. It keeps me on my toes. And that's a, that's a healthy thing, not a competitive, narcissistic. Absolutely. Weird thing. Yeah. And uh, what what's so troubling to me about that is I've been to some shows recently and uh, seen bands that had they been playing those same venues when I got here in 1996, I would have waited out line an hour and a half to get in. And two weeks ago, the reopening of the varsity, mm-hmm. I walked directly in. Oh. No wait. Uh, a stellar lineup, Chris Coza, Dirt Train. Uh-huh. Uh, at one of our, our, our best venues. It, it is a beautiful venue. That's not... I mean, it had its issues and was tarnished yep. and it was shut down for a long time, but yep. it, it came back. New ownership, new thing, new excitement. May I ask new how it looks? Is it similar vibe? Uh, very similar. Okay. Very similar to very what it was. Sort of uh, beautiful Parisian. Yeah, yeah. You know, red velvet vibe. Yeah, it's got that sort of classy yeah. big venue yeah. thing going Ballroom on. Ballroom almost. Exactly. And I'm standing there, and I'm, I'm watching incredible music yep. happen. Through this incredible sound system, Forgot really, really strong musicianship happening yeah. on the stage to a room that's a quarter full in the heart of one of the biggest universities in the country. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute, what is going on here? We are, we are in an evolution. We're in the beginning of an evolution on how people respond to events and stimulation and what people value to be inspired. And I think it's, I did a mini tour, like I haven't toured since 2010 and I did a mini tour over the fall, last fall. And uh, granted, I was just an, I was a, you know, when you start over, you start over. Like you are nobody. Like you start from the ground zero. I'm cool with that. So it was all a science experiment just like a sociology experiment where I was talking to all the club owners and there's house concerts and small clubs and one actually went to, you know, a big club and people aren't going out as much. Like it's going to take, you know, the ghost of Prince walking in a room to kind of get out of the house. So it's like, I think the difference is when we were, um, let's say, 20s and that kind of thing that's all you did where you're going out you're not staying in your apartment right unless it's you know some friday night shindig that you planned for a month but the whole point was to get out of your house and now it's hard to get out of the house so i think that's a that's my humble opinion and that may not last i hope it doesn't um do you think the rumors of a rock revolution are real I'm, I'm sure, you know, I just, I've lived long enough now, four decades, to where it's like um, things just come back. And, you know, right now, we're, you know, we're doing some 80s vibe right now, and it's just like, <laughs> like, 
<laughs> all my 15, 16 year old students. I'm like, you guys, other than alt rock and some in comedy movies, the 80s wasn't all that, man. You know, I, nobody looked uh, good in the 80s, that's for sure, you, unless you, you were a punk rocker. You warm my heart with those comments. The yeah. all the all of the young folks that work with me here at uh, Five Black. Oh, we were just talking about Enya, dude. I know. With your, it, she's an yeah. outlier in. Uh, Don't get me wrong, Enya's talented. Not my personal fate, but right, right, right. But yeah, that's an that's an eighties vibe thing. The, that's a late eighties vibe. The the comedy of all of that. It, yeah, the obsession right now is 80s, and all I can keep telling them is, I was there, guys, and it wasn't cool the first time. It was not cool. <laughs> I have, I still feel guilt. Oh, I do too. For hair product, oh, mullets. Peg, I'm still peg proud jeans. of my ripped. I'm still no. I had cool ripped Levi's, so it's still keeping that CBGB's thing. Going all right, on. right on. So that was cool, um, but like. I had the flannel thing, so even though I didn't know who the replacements were at that time, I did in college, my, you know, my brief stint in college. But before that, like, uh, it was like, okay, you know, minus the Bono hair, keeping some, you're keeping some 70s vibe. But, yeah, let's, let's face it, nobody looks good in the 80s. Yeah, the 80s were not, uh, they were not good to anybody yeah. for that, any reason. That, that, yeah, when we look back at the 80s, it's like, I'm wondering what, Generation Y, Millennials, and Generation Z think about the 80s. It's got to be a comedic thing. It's got to be like, are you kidding me? This is awesome. The irony thing? The yeah, irony thing. Yeah. Versus so, like art. I look at <laughs> I look at the, the pieces that they're choosing to, to grab a hold of yeah. and, and pull into our Early era. 80s was cool though because you had the New York downtown art scene and lounge lizards and gold jazz and, and alt rock. Warhol. But yeah, you, see, you have all that vibe and then all of a sudden 85 is like, whoa! 86, no! 87, oh! Uh. 88, <laughs> oh no! 89 is even like, oh! Well, 90s like, We did get what? Guns and Roses in 89. That's true. They, they kind of turned it up didn't they yeah gnr but i loved watching like early pearl jam the cotton between the 80s 90s vibe of like alice in chains and pearl jam yeah they're like whoa punk rock long hair nope you know what i mean the yeah. in between 80s 90s things is the, pretty interesting the schizophrenia between <laughs> uh glam rock yeah hair metal yeah. and Alt rock. I want to talk a little bit about what you are doing musically oh, right man. now on the mend. Is it an organization? Is it a band? Is it a mission um, what in is life? It? What is it? It's a rebirth, man. So, um, 2013, I had some little auditory issues happen. Um, not from music, believe it or not, but from multitudes of genes and other things that happened um Which where the result was tinnitus tinnitus and then the real killer is called hyperacusis so hyperacusis is you develop neural sound sensitivity mm-hmm. so i couldn't listen to music or even play an acoustic guitar so i i kind of i taught wow. a little bit um but i gave up music i sold my amps i sold a bunch of pedals i was like well i'm, I'm out of here so i was very depressed for a long time and then being an OCDer, the only positive thing about OCDs you research a lot. Um, found some guys. There's very few people that know about. It's the brain. So whether you have Parkinson's or epilepsy or tinnitus or hyperacusis or whatever your brain ailment is, it's the it's the dawn of the new era of 
the brain, and thanks to technology, there will be more. We'll know more about it, but it is a mystery organ. Sure. It's a mystery organ. And after many years of just not being in music, I slowly came back and taught a little bit more because I, I love my music education business called the Rock and Roll Therapy Room.com. Um, good plug. Good plug. We we're going to get to the plug. Good plug. Um, and then I slowly, I had an old, the, it's, it sounds like a like super like planned out story that I'm going to tell you. Like it was written by some publicists in LA and Echo Park. Or Silver Lake neighborhood in L.A. And the marketing person said, Mike, talk about your sister's classical guitar, man. But um, I love it. For some reason, I carry around this Howard Early classical guitar, built in 1974 in Brazil. And uh, sister played guitar for a while. I just sat in the closet. I got it when I moved back. Um, after I moved here, moved back a little bit picked it up and it's the only guitar where it didn't affect my brain or my sounds or my sound sensitivity so i discovered um i gave up music didn't write couldn't perform couldn't see live music i was a shut-in it was isolating it was awful but people go through harder things but um i discovered the classical guitar and once i started just plumping around on it um, as you know, as a musician, what is your sense of purpose as an artist? For me, writing is most important, and then performance and teaching. So um, writing, like I started writing songs, and then all of a sudden my depression started. You know, it's like I, I'm not a chronically depressed person. I'm a chronically OCD person. That's a whole other issue. But to feel that, to feel like, oh, I have to get out of bed to get a fork to eat was like literally traveling to Istanbul. You know what I mean? Yeah. Wow. So, well, I don't know. Extreme empathy for people who go through depression. Uh, But writing got me out of it. And then I'm like, all right, I'm going to write a resiliency record. But my higher life lesson out of the four years out of music and then creating this record called On the Men, I hooked up with an old friend, Adam Wahlberg. Um, who is a local publisher here in Minneapolis. And um, we were conversing because he was putting out a record by Adam Levy about the death of his son, Alvin Way. And we connected on LinkedIn of all places because we're not LinkedIn people totally. <laughs> um, but that was cool. And we had lunch at the Rainbow and um, not the L.A. Rainbow. But, um, the Rainbow on the Eat Rainbow Street. Eat Street, baby. Oh, yeah. And uh, he helped me put out this record, and it's uh, a record about uh, rebirth, resiliency. And so my higher life lesson, I realized, was is about I, f- I felt at the time, you know, the, you know, you go through so, whether it's any illness of magnitude, you know, some magnitude, you go through phases of uh, denial, ego, um, what was me? You, you go through the stages of grief and all that kind of stuff. And I realized my sense of purpose. So I, I was like going to MCTC and going, I'm going to study environmental studies. And, and at the end of the day, it's like, nah, I'm just a musician, man. <laughs> so I have no other choice. It chose me. Screw it. I'm going right. to get through this. So the bigger life lesson was about discovering people in Minneapolis and St. Paul who had far worse things going on than my little brain ailment. People that lost limbs, people that staged 2-3 cancer, people that Parkinson's that were really bad, watching them just kind of just get through it 
was like, all right, I still want to live. I still have sense of purpose now. I'm going to make this record. And so it's a little small token in the world, which is filled with, um, let's go on YouTube and type in motivation. You know, there's a million. 28 billion Yeah, hits. so yeah. I, I'm a little peon in the world, but I hope this record delivers um, positive message. It's an upbeat record, so I don't want to do some melancholy record because I'm just not that kind of person. Um, so it's an upbeat celebratory record on getting through things. So there you go. So... Uh, do you mind if we play this on Radio 5 Watt? In uh, what you're committing to is royalty-free right. uh, spin. L- let's do, I have a generic um, sort of FedEx Kinko's like, release copy. Let me go run in the car and we'll <laughs> sign that. And, no, I don't care. It's all good. I recommend track three. Okay. Full of positives with a Z. Oh, yeah. Um, so this is... Uh, uh, if I may, I'm an electric player. Right. Like Hendrix is my dude. But this is all acoustic. I have a, a, a wonderful rhythm section, Ian Allison on electric bass, and Steve Gould on drums, who is in the Bill Mike band. Fantastic. And I was uh, had some uh, great vocal coaching by Libby Turner, who's um, uh, you know an amazing figure figurehead of uh, gospel singing, R&B singing in Twin Cities, who worked with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. She was coaching me, and then recorded at the Trarium with Jason Norris and Rob Osterlin. And um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's an upbeat. It's my little Jack Johnson record, man. I love it. Yeah. I absolutely love it. The world needs more sunshine. You know, and, uh, you're very – there's your poetry, man. I agree. I agree. And it's like, one thing I wrote this record, it's like, all right, I'm a sap. You know, just (laughs) kind of totally accepting that, yeah, I I like it. I'm a sunshine guy. And it's just like, I'm not cool. You know what I mean? It's like, all right, I like funk music, and I like indie rock, and I like... You're from Cincinnati, man. man. I know. It's like, you know, I'm a groovy, indie, rocky, funky James Brown. Yeah. Parliament Funkadelic. Bootsy Collins. Oh, Totally, dude. Come on. Um, so, I, 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 it's it's an innocent record. How about that? Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm excited to listen to it. Thank you for sharing and yeah. bringing us a some copy. sunshine at five. Wow. Um, let me double check if there's any. Uh, there are a couple of things. Uh, this is a question I love to ask local musicians. Okay. What is your favorite local venue to play and why? Um, so I'm going to be diplomatic because it's truth is that there are multiple venues. I have fond memories. I haven't, you know, again, no violence for me or anything, but I haven't been able to play a lot of the bigger, louder places. So that's been a, a hard grieving. Um, I love... I love the varsity. I love the turf club. I like, I remember the dinky town, you know, it's like, oh, yeah. I love the seventh street entry. I yeah. like ice house. Uplown? I like Did warming you house. Uh, yep. Played the uptown. I can't think I love the caboose. Um, but like all hail gun to the head, right? All hail. It's first Avenue, man. Like you yeah. can't, that, there's, there's, when I talk to folks from out of town, yeah, it's uh, just like the vibe there is just like historical, and you just kind of own up to it. That it's like, oh, 
this is kind of this is kind of like uh this is the um this uh what was the i know it's it's gone now but it's the la belle v of of <laughs> venues man yeah i i hope to play there again yeah i've gotten to play there twice on the main stage bass too bass. Can you imagine that it, like, that low E, man. Hi, I'm all powerful. It, I command yeah. the room. I was attempting to bring down the IDS tower with that low E string. Yeah. I was like, I thought it was really going to happen yeah. for a minute. And then you have, you know, the vibe there is great. Conrad's awesome. And oh, yeah. I mean, the history, the thing. Yeah. So folks ask me from outside of the Twin Cities, buddies from around the country, what what's the deal what's it and i'm like it's 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 our everest yeah when you come here yeah and you get into the scene it's a big deal like every time i played there um back in the day um it it was like it was mystical it is yeah Yeah, it really is it is it's Um, like and you're just like sit there and you're like god i'm really grateful this is really so cool i get to do this like this is like a kid going to disneyland it's uh, the other analogy I use to describe it is it's the it's the climatic end moment at your favorite rom com. Yeah, there you go. It's where the whole movie comes together. Yeah, and you're like, bam! Oh, it happened. You're on the Absolutely. main stage. It's great. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, so part of Radio Five Watt and its mission. Its mission, literally, is to unilaterally raise the bar of the Twin Cities music scene. So, by awesome ambition, dude. I'm trying, man. I'm really trying. Yeah. Uh, shining the right kind of light in the right way. Yeah. And inspiring change and motivation and getting people out and, yeah. and doing things. And, and uh, activity breeds more activity. I, at my ripe old age of 43, I'm often uh, sharing little nuggets with uh-huh. our, our younger generations. It's th- 43 is young, dude. It's, <laughs> we're kind of a new era where all of our heroes are 74. I know it. Yeah, so 43 is really nothing. Uh, my question to you is, is what, what do you think needs to be imparted on, on the young musicians coming up in our community right now i was thinking about this today and i really mean that um as musicians it is a it's a it's a challenging occupation only because we are a young country that selectively values the arts in different formats it's not a it's we're not a we're not europe yet we're not a thousand year old culture we're 200 and what 40 whatever yeah that is the big picture where um, I think, and, I'll, I'll, and I won't do the soapbox thing, but i got to keep it real here. If I were in the symphony orchestra, instantaneous value. If I say I'm a high school music teacher, instantaneous value. If I'm a professor of music at a college, instantaneous value. If I'm a pop star, instantaneous value. Anything in between, aw. Aw. So it's how, here's, here's the problem. Every artist, whether it be photography, visual art, you're a writer, you're a musician, you're a poet, you're a comedian, whatever, you want 
your voice to be heard. So that means some sort of notoriety. And, and different people have different perspectives on what that is. You know, whether you're underground or if you want to be a pop star, that's totally cool. Whatever your path is, I'll respect. But we're all, what musicians can do, and this is me speaking from not doing music in my prime for four years. I had a lot of thinking to do and a lot of objective perspective. We're, we're, it's such a survivalist occupation. So you're really isolated on your own, even though you may hang out and go see friends and do social media and support that way. We're all on our own trajectory. And the problem with that is there is nobody's unifying as much for copyright or legislation. We're not PO'd for other things, whether it be tax breaks or whatever, or the value we're bringing to the Twin Cities in multitudes. Like, okay, you're coming for the Super Bowl, yeah, but what was happening on Nicollet Avenue? History, music history. That needs to be, like, paid, man. Right. So my thing to young musicians would be we all talk about, yeah, it's all lovey-dovey and supportive, and yeah, I support them, and but I don't know what this means, and I don't know how to do it, but it's almost like group meetings of the mind need to happen, like like in an arena. Like Target Center needs to be rented out, and every working musician needs to go, and we just talk about how to up the game so that we because in the universe right now everybody gets a chance that's my belief system is like you know I don't like once a year I'll get overwhelmed that there's you know 400 million musicians and you know I'm adequate but I'm not the greatest and all that kind of stuff all that self talk and negative self talk and you realize somehow we all fall into place in America because it's a beautiful place to cultivate like you look at you started a radio <laughs> station and a gorgeous coffee shop. Coffee. Well, it's more than a coffee shop because you serve food, food, beer, beer, wine. Yeah. So you were able to do this in this country at 40. You started when you were, what, 30? Uh, yeah. 38 is when we okay. opened. So check the this other out. Scene. You guys had invisible thoughts. And I'm no. going to get hippie on you right here. I'm ready. Electromagnetic thoughts that are real matter right that's real and you were afforded the opportunity in the united states to have a vision and cultivate and actually do it sure like that is in, isn't that insane where does that happen it doesn't happen in three quarters of the world you're, right you're absolutely right part of part of birthing this concept yeah uh as i would explain it to my partners and other folks and in in invent the idea yeah. uh, one of the things I would frequently <laughs> profitize was the idea that some kid in his bedroom in Bemidji mm-hmm. could record a song on his laptop yep. send it to me over the internet and I could put it on air 10 minutes later Yeah, it's, it, it's and insane. I would say where else in the world does that ever ever happen right so in conclusion I feel that artists desire to be known sets them up for exploitation i.e. Spotify i.e. Pandora all of these things by the way 1.5 billion in debt Spotify Pandora is going under 
So you have, what happens is, is musicians or music business people, it depends, come up with ideas on how to be middlemen to exploit the artists that they are or were. It's insane. It's a tale as old as time. Yeah. So, <laughs> and it goes back to the old Hollywood system of exploitation, right? right? So the record company biz, the record companies borrowed the Hollywood system and here we are. So you're like, no man, it's, it's super indie right now. It's like, no, because the three major labels sat down with Spotify and said, we're going to sue you for all your investment capital if you don't give us better percentage percentages than Caleb or Mike. And right. right now, that's the deal. So if artists united like all these other organizations and put heat on legislation... Stuff will get done faster. But it's hard because we're now in a position of survivalists and relearning an entire new system because there is it's open-ended now because of technology. So we're all entrepreneurs struggling to a degree, and we don't have the mental time or physical time or, you know, we're exhausted really. It's true. You, you know, it's a full-time job, as yeah. you know. Um, you're mostly marketing on computer and stuff like that. But but that would be my biggest thing that I learned not being in music is like, oh, how how do you unite so you get something done so it benefits the the musicians of the United States? Because right now, it's still, it's the Grammys, you know, the, te- the televised Grammys is still the big three major labels and Spotify is still the major and the American Idol and da-da-da-da-da. So... Yes, the system has changed where you and I can sit here in this wonderful place and create these things. And like Chance the Rapper, anything can happen, right? You can put sure. your stuff on SoundCloud and you can be a superstar in three months. So that still can happen. But so unification or awareness of um, how do I support others and how do we build each other up, which still happens. So I'm not saying that doesn't exist. But I think it could be beefed up a little bit. That's my whole point. I That's what you're doing right now. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, one of the segments we intend to do. And this do isn't an old fuddy-duddy thing. This is really real. Like Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the What I've been realizing recently is when I, I go see live music, one, how few other musicians are in the audience. And back in my day, man, quote, you you would go to. And we're keeping it real. It, it was true. At like three nights, four nights a week. Right? Absolutely. Because it was three bucks, five bucks to get in. And it's not like, what well, was me, our old generation? It's not that. It was like it was a different value system. It was a, it was it was yeah. You went out and saw a lot of music, and you paid the money. And it's where you got a great education amazing you go walk into the old times and watch billy franzi playing a jazz trio right on a big archtop fat box guitar yeah and then the next night go watch billy franzi play with dr mambo's combo right (laughs) and realize yeah you know what's happening there i will say there's one band that gives me a lot of hope there's two there's snarky puppy and wolfpack Oh, but Wolfpack. I, but I feel that Wolfpack is what we experienced. Yeah, that they're the the only band that I know of. And again, I'm coming back to music, so I'm sure there's 
you know, I'll, I'll get a bunch of emails. No, there's 300 bands you're missing, Mike. You, you Generation Xer person. Um, but I like man crush Wolfpack because I, everything they stand for, everything they do, all the songs they create are wonderful. Every everybody in the band's a great musician. That's a bunch of uh, Michigan and one Minnesota well, boy, yep, by the way. Corey, yep. And <laughs> I, 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 and my students introduced me to him, a twelve, you know, a thirteen-year-old Ari. If you're out there, um, he's fourteen at the time. He goes, he's going to St. Paul Conservatory. I think he's a freshman. He's like, Mike, check this out. It's Wolfpack, and I'm like, this is this is what I grew up with. Oh man! Like the typewriter font <laughs> of every song title, and the you know the Super Eight oh, videos. So like good. this is like how this is the most grassroots Dave Grohl thing on the planet, and I'm so happy they're around for younger people to experience because that's what we experience almost every night. It is. It yeah. really, really the joy is. of that the, being in the know. The upside. The the. The musical joy, the the movie moments that Wolfpack creates is, is the story of our mid-90s musical life. Absolutely. Totally and agree. Mind-blowing. And I want it back so badly. Yeah. And thank God that they are they are going to influence a lot of people and to do the same thing. So. I agree. Have you heard about these uh, young local guys, Faux? Um, P-H-O? I, I have, but I have never seen them. So uh, they're a funk band, and they just played last week. I was actually going to see them at the, was it the turf? I don't. I um, I only am aware, recently aware, yeah. because Tucker, our station manager, yep. Tucker Jensen, uh, it put them in rotation oh, on cool. Radio Five One. Yep. So I I first heard them, and I'm like, did he sneak in Volpeck? Oh, on me right, i'm like right. we can't do this yeah um so yeah they're fantastic yeah. they're they're of it gives me so much hope and joy yeah to, that's cool so uh they also did a pony rug episode sure. recently it's interesting because so you know we're i'm older than you but we're the 40 somethings but um so our generation above us is the original not the original, like the first indie rock generation, right? Right. Right. And then we have the generation before them would be like the West Bank folks and then the um, garage band folks, right? Sure. So we're like, we're generation three now that we're Minnesotans. Right. We're, we're rock generation three. And then you have generation four. Um, uh, like, I love the band Black Diet. That was one of my students, Garrison Grouse, and bands like that doing it up and... Um, and then you have like Faux, I guess, is a little bit younger than those guys. So you have yeah. this, you know, early twenty-something stuff. Going Gen on, Five. Gen Five, man. I saw a band last night at Turf Club, Margo. Mm-hmm. They were fantastic. They blew my mind. Oh, that's great. So, uh, so I have a couple. We'll have to write down a couple of the things that you need to. Yeah. We have to do the movie with Jack Airborne. Airborne. Margo. Margo, okay. local band, uh, and then my buddies, uh, who I'll give a plug to, uh, Junior Varsity, um, very campy, comical, great, fun. 
they were the they were the, every college band we wanted to go see and get really drunk and mm-hmm. and hit on cute girls, mm-hmm. and we hoped that this band was playing in the nineties. That's what they're Got doing okay. now. So um, yeah, fantastic night of music. This Margo band just blew me away. Awesome. Fantastic. That's good. I I'm such a kid in the candy store, and I love. Um, I thought I would have some fear that I was too outdated being out for a while because things move in five years, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's like, you know, if we said, I'm not going to say any band names, but if we named 10 big bands from 98 in Minnesota, there isn't going to be one 21-year-old that knows who they <laughs> that are. That a clue, right? Yeah. So That happens move, to me all the time. Things move fast in, in the United States because, you know, there is an insatiable appetite for newness in this country. To a degree, as your your friend and brother, mm-hmm. I'm I'm about to lay some wisdom on you. Are yes, you, re- you ready me. for me? Okay. My my friend Mike Michael, cool, is just a choice. Got it. Okay. And you, my friend, are cool. Oh man. Because I choose that. Okay. For you. I accept. I'm learning to invite and accept. Uh, yeah, I tell that to the kids all the time. Yeah. Cool is just a decision. <laughs> so get over it, guys. Yep. The, the 80s have left the building, hopefully. Choose to be cool yeah. regardless of anything else. Yeah. Uh, so nothing has passed you by is ultimately what I'm getting at. Got it. Got and, it. And, okay. uh, but, yeah, I'm, I'm a kid in a candy store because, uh, like you mentioned, Faux and um, what other – there's a bunch of R&B stuff that I need to check out and a couple of rappers and yeah. uh, a lot of uh, soul funk R&B people that um, I've never heard of, you know, are probably 23 and right. and they're probably really, really good. So um, I'm excited just to, you know, get back to seeing live music. I still kind of have to hang in the back with my auditory stuff, but now I can push myself a little bit more and enjoy it and stay for a little bit. Ice House, The Feels series on Wednesday nights which I missed last night because I had to teach but um, that's great that is an exceptional series yeah, yeah that's been I've been to that twice and have been profusely inspired have you been to Tina Shalesky's residency no I have not All right, do you know Tina Shalesky keep going Tina and the B-Sides oh yeah okay sure, were, sure. yeah so that's Tina. Where, but she lives in California, or is she back? She's doing a residency at the Ice House. Really? Yeah. I did not know I that. I got to go because I, I knew two two guys that played with in her band in the heyday. Okay. Back in the big days. There are at least a dozen musicians I know that have moved to L.A. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's definitely the singer-songwriter song, rebirth there since the Laurel Canyon days oh. out, in, out in the old L.A. Uh, see, I'm behind the whip, man. Yeah. I thought everybody's still going to Nashville. Uh, LA's LA's a hot commodity. The hotel right. cafe scene right is on. kind of a big deal, and then you've got the whole Silver Lake, you know, seat back sipping. You know, not, it's not five watt, but he's sipping <laughs> something in that Silver Lake neighborhood. Intelligentsia, yeah. yes, or uh, Blue Bottle, or Tonks, or whoever. Yeah. Handsome Roasters. Mm-hmm. Lots of premier premier L.A. coffee mm-hmm. nameplates out there. Um, well, 
uh, Mike Michael, that concludes everything I wanted to ask. Thanks you. for letting me um, go on and on and on. Oh, it was truly my pleasure. We've reconnected. It's a wonderful thing. I'm gonna write down your tips and tricks for Minneapolis getting back into the scene. Yeah. So and, are uh, you recently back? Yeah, it's been. It's you know I'm slowly been sneaking out here and there and played a few gigs in the last year. Nice. So um, I'm feeling more confident about that. So I'm pursuing it because I don't have a choice. Right. Yeah. What can we plug for you? Oh, um, this is out of town, but you can plug that I'll be playing my hometown of Cincinnati. (laughs) I saw that on Facebook. Uh, April 7th. I've applied to a bunch of summer festivals, but I don't know if they're going to go down because I'm one of 100,000 people. But we'll see what goes down. My goal is to play a couple summer things because that's such a beautiful thing. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to pursue some opening gigs. You know, I have very humble spirit right now, so it's like I'll kind of go anywhere um, just to play as a, as a gas again. So I'm, it's one of the things I love. So, But Cincinnati at Motor Pub. I'm playing right. with the Claudettes from Chicago. They're like kind of an indie blues loungy thing. They're cool. What's the, what's the Mozart's Pub of Motor uh, Pub? Um, so the of deal, Minneapolis. Oh, uh, Ice House. Okay. Yeah. Nice. It's the same vibe. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so you've got that. You, your your yeah, new album. Yeah, I'm still album. pushing that. We're still sending it out. Send it to radio stations like yourself and um, on the mend. And we're just going to write it out and see how many legs it has and just write new material. And then probably my, I'm not going to say my last acoustic record, but I'm going electric. That's my goal. I think I have, I can do that again. So it's getting funkier and a little bit more rock and roll the way I kind of need to do it. But uh, I'm really proud that that acoustic record turned out well, and you know all the musicians made it way better. So, who played on this? Uh, Ian Allison on bass, Steve Gould on drums. That's old right, you old friends, so yeah. it's telepathic. So, we know a lot of the same folks. Shooty, Craig's amazing. Um, ben Galeros. Ben Galeros is a sweet soul and an amazing songwriter. Uh, yep. Yeah, I mean it's a big little town. It's a big little town, but. You will always meet new, brilliant musicians you without you even thinking about it. Yeah, Margo, this band, last night, apparently they've been around a long time. Okay. And uh, I was like, it's not possible that there's a band this good that I don't know. It shocked me, right. literally. I yeah. was like, no way. Can't be. But everybody's going to be climbing to do the radio show right here, dude. <laughs> You're going to get a Margo email tonight. I'm in. I love it. Yeah. Uh, go to MikeMichaelMusic.com. Sweet. Find Mike Michael on Facebook. M-I-C-H-E-L. M-I-C-H-E-L. Uh, find it, Mike Michael. That. What's your Instagram handle? Uh, everything's Mike Michael Music. Got it. Yeah. Um, some 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 other Mike Michael and who sells like vacuums stole all the websites. <laughs> so for real. So, oh, there's a vacuum guy, and then there's the kicker for the Philadelphia Eagles who blew a championship series, Mike oh, Michael. That's right. And check this out. I have this football card from my youth that I found going through my old stuff three years ago, and I've pulled up this football card from 80-whatever, and it says Mike Michael. I swear to God, spelled the same way. I'm not exaggerating. You can Google it. 
and when you flip over, it's tops, right? Tops, right. baseball and football cards. You flip it over, and they always have a com, like a, an illustration with the guy what they do for a hobby, plays guitar. No way. Uh, framed it. Oh. So I they stole all the Mike Michael websites, dude. Well, in my life, in my world, there's but one true Mike Michael, and he's sitting with me here at uh, Five Watt Coffee. Please come down to Five Watt. It's uh, I would say this. I'm saying this objectively. It's it's a, a beautiful place. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, it was an honor to interview you, and it's thank you to be here. for your contribution to and our musical culture. Thanks for letting me express myself because. Don't take your music for granted, musicians. Don't, like, don't ever complain about any gig ever. That's all I'm going to say. There you go. Yeah. Uh, we have segments coming up. Uh, in the near future, more back of house, BOH. Anybody coming up that? Blair Krivenick. Oh. Dear friend of my mine. My top five, man. Favorite, uh, another favorite local guitar player. Best tally man in the business, man. You, the... What's comical about what and, and a Blair great writer, does. by the way, great, great songwriter. Oh yeah, it's like uh, Shredder like can do any style great, like Mark Rabot or somebody, but um, writes really beautiful pieces of music. So he's uh, he's the most tasteful guitar player. Um, my my end all be all is um, uh, Mike Campbell, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. He's the tasty bits. He's. He's my favorite guitar player Boys of all summer, time. Dude. Oh, so good. So Intro. good. Never, never is he playing wrong. It's just always right. Yeah. Uh, and Blair is the local version of that to me. Mm-hmm. I've recorded him hundreds of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was he was my first call guy for. And he was in with Sonny, right? He was with Sunny Night and Lakers. Yep. Uh, rest in peace. Got to plug his other stuff. Yep. Um. But yeah, so Blair Krivenek, uh, Nick Salisbury, another Nick's dear friend of mine. Player, yeah. One, probably my favorite local bass player. Uh, if, Multi-dimensional if, talent, as most Nick of those Salisbury heavy hitters are. And um, uh, um, now I'm embarrassed. I'm going to draw a blank. Uh, crazy meal. Jimmy Anton. Jimmy Anton got in a bass war. I don't know who would win. It would be it would be World War Three. Um, yeah, and I would hate to see that happen because I can't live without either of them. There you go. So, Jim Anton, Nick Salisbury, you you both blow my mind on the regular. Uh, thank you so much. Amen. Um, and I'm not even Catholic anymore. So. <laughs> uh, Greg Schutte is going to create a show. To be a part of uh, Radio 5 Watt. I'm wow. excited to see what he comes up with. Uh, we got a lot of things happening. Yeah, it's Greg's super exciting. Obviously, plays with a ton of people around here, but uh, Ryan Bingham is his big gig out of town right now. So yeah, that's along pretty, with Sals. That's right. Yeah. It's cool. Super cool. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, lots of other folks in the desired pipeline, and uh, I'm sure. That's a good phrase. Desired pipeline. Wow, that's my that's my next rock record. Is it prog rock title. Even though I love that title. Desired pipeline. pipeline. Okay, I love the song pipeline. Yeah, that was one I of the first say. songs I ever learned to play on the bass. Nice. Uh, anyway, we've gotten into the weeds. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Caleb. 
Have a beautiful night. Uh, thank you for listening, folks. Uh, this is Back of House. I am your host, Caleb Guy. Uh, be good to everyone you know and live a little. That means go out and see some live music. Be human, please. This AI is coming down the path. Let's just balance out the AI stuff. <laughs> Have a good night, Joe. Thank you. Featured music in today's episode was Toby Lee Marshall on Hammond B3 organ and Andy Botterman on drums. Toby and Andy perform every Thursday evening as Totally Organic right here at Radio 5 Watt headquarters in the 5 Watt Coffee Shop on East Hennepin in Northeast Minneapolis.